Hello, and welcome to Quilt Achievement's Markets Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and trends that we have been exploring for you here at Quilt Achievement. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on, or alternatively by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm your host, Oswald Oddenton, Investment Manager for the Managed Portfolio Services based out of our London office. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by regular podcast guest, Richard Carter, our head of fixed interest research and equity research analyst, Ben Barringer. With us nearing the end of November, it's been a good month for investors. Bond yields have steadily been declining and a positive rally in both the US and UK stock markets have offset some of the losses seen last month. And last week, we saw the release of the autumn statement by Jeremy Hunt, which came with a series of reforms to ICES and pensions, business tax cuts worth 11 billion pounds, and a reduction in the main rate of class one national insurance contributions by 2%. The Chancellor's aims for these reforms is to boost economic growth. However, after the announcement, we saw the Office for Budget Responsibility provide a reality check, revising down their forecast of the medium term growth rate of GDP to 1.6% from 1.8%. Richard, if I can turn to you first, what are your thoughts on the statement and will it really boost economic growth? Uh, good question, Oswald. I, I'm sure the it, it won't do any harm, and it, it, you know it might help at the margin the sort of tax cuts. But I don't think it's going to uh, be a big game changer, or you know provide a sort of boost that maybe the government uh, would like us to think it will. Obviously, we've got to remember that um, you know interest rates have been going up for some time, and that's going to slow the economy. And and uh, you know as you were saying, the outlook the outlook for growth in the UK is kind of fairly uh, anemic and. Uh, uh, and you know the cut to sort of national insurance or the rest of it probably isn't going to absolutely make a make a massive change. And also, we you know we've got to remember that um, you know the government's doing its best to sort of sell the tax cut, but they've actually you know taxes have been going up for some time, uh, understandably in a way to sort of pay for uh, the legacy of COVID and you know the cost of um, uh, you know supporting the energy the energy market given what's been going on in Ukraine so yeah perhaps yeah, a step in the right direction from the government but um, won't make a huge difference and probably partly you know to do with uh, trying to help their chances in in next year's election which obviously at the moment aren't looking great so um, yeah I, I, as I say not a, not a game changer for the UK economy. Thanks and as you were saying um, as time goes on it's becoming more apparent that central banks are near the end of their rate rise cycle and we have one more monetary policy committee meeting before the year end what implications if any does the budget have for inflation and interest rates yeah I, and none i think for the next meeting you're right you know there's one more meeting to go for, uh you know this year there's also one in, in, for the fed as well uh you know You'd have to say 99% chance, uh, if not more, actually, that uh, the, the Bank of England won't be making any changes to uh, interest rates in at the next meeting, very much on hold for the time being, and, and we'll see what happens uh, next year. But the the, the moves that, that you know, Jeremy Hunt made in the, in the autumn statement won't make any difference to that. It, I suppose at the margin, you know, as we go into next year, people are talking about interest rate cuts potentially at some point. Uh, if the um, if the, if the moves do kind of help the economy a little bit, do help growth a little bit, it might just raise the bar for uh, when the first interest rate cut is going to come. So yeah, that's possible. But we'll have to wait and see on that next year and see how the economy uh, does. I mean, we don't yet know when the election's going to be. It could be May, it could be October, sometime like that. 
but I would expect, um, you know, if the public finances can take it, we may get another sort of uh, budgetary giveaway sometime in the in the spring before that election. So, yeah, the Bank of England is obviously watching that. And, and if the, the more the government does in terms of cutting taxes, the less likely they are to uh, to, to cut interest rates. But I think we'll have to wait and see on that and, and see how the economy does next year. Thanks, Richard. We'll keep our eyes peeled for an early election coming up soon. Uh, ben, moving on to you. Just moving on from the autumn statement, we're now firmly at the end of earnings seasons with headlines dominated by the big tech names, some of which have been discussed on previous podcast episodes, but one that has not been covered just yet and probably the most anticipated was NVIDIA. Can you give us a summary of the company's results? Yeah, good afternoon, Oswald. Thank you. Um, yeah, look, it was, it's quite difficult to summarise quickly, but let me try. So I think there are four things that investors were were thinking about. They're thinking about the numbers and the guide and the guidance. They were thinking about China and what's happening there. They were thinking about what happens after 2024, i.e. 2025 growth. And then they were thinking about this debate between inference and training. So when you train a model, uh, you use a lot of GPUs, but then as you use the model, you can use lots of other different types of, of, of processors. So just going to those very quickly, you know, the revenues were up 206% and that was a 12% beat of sell-side expectations. But NVIDIA's built a reputation for, for beating their numbers. And so actually the buy-side number was bang on um that the the number they they produced so um that was was re, you know decent that meant the stock was flat um what's driving that 206% revenue growth of course is the the strong demand from cloud providers cloud computing providers uh, internet service providers uh, software companies and enterprises generally starting to to do uh, more generative ai and remember nvidia sells not just the chips, but also the software called CUDA and also the networking um, uh, from an acquisition they made called Mellanox. And all of that gives them quite a good moat, particularly in training. And that means they can deliver gross margins of 75%, which are which are pretty credible. So, so the, um, the numbers were pretty good. The second piece is around China. Um, now, clearly, the US has been trying to restrict the export of high-end chips to China to basically curb their development of, of AI. And, and for NVIDIA, China rep represents about 25% of revenues. They say that will be down very significantly after the most recent um, uh, US-China um, restrictions. Um, but they were still able to guide very strongly despite that what's going to be quite a big drop off in Chinese demand. And so that shows you that even though, you know, one one sort of leg of the story is, is falling away, other areas are, are sort of picking up. And so, yeah, the guide was for 11% for sequential growth and 230% year on year growth. They also made some comments about them growing in 2025, which is sort of my, my third piece. So people are very worried that it's sort of a 2023, 2024 story, but what happens in 2025? So they put that to bed as well. The final piece, which I still think remains a debate for NVIDIA, um, is around training uh, versus inference. And, and in training, NVIDIA has about an 85% market share. But as you move to inference, as you start to use these models, um, there's much more competition from businesses like AMD, 
from Intel, um, from Arm, the, the Cambridge-based company that you know power all of our smartphones, and then also you know custom silicon done by the the cloud providers themselves. So Amazon have their own, Google has their own, and and so does uh, Microsoft. Uh, they've just announced announced one. So there's still the training and influence debate. Uh, inference debate remains the, the probably the the biggest thing I'm working on uh, at the moment. But look, we like um, Nvidia. It's a very strong business. As we move to that transition, you know, they're going to be less dominant, but they're still a formidable business uh, and it's been a great investment this year. Thanks, man. And just on the inference and training models you've mentioned, one of their customers is OpenAI, who have been using their chips to help train the famous ChatGPT model. I'm sure several listeners have come across the news in the past week regarding Sam Altman's brief hiatus from the company. Um, what are your thoughts on the open AI saga? And does this raise any flags for Microsoft or the broader sector? Yeah, so let's try and summarize what was quite a lot of amateur dramatics last week. Um, look, so Sam Altman was sacked by the board uh, after they quote unquote, lost trust in him. Now, what exactly that means, we shall see. But the, the important thing to know about OpenAI is it's a non-profit business that has a board um, that is responsible for that non-profit. And then as a sort of a subs subset of that or a subsidiary of that is the profit organization. And that's the thing that charges for ChatGPT and you know has to sort of account for all of the costs of doing all the training and inference. Um, and that's what Microsoft has the, that it's, its stake in. It's just less than 50% uh, stake in. And so uh, Altman was sacked. Um, lots of uh, the staff threatened to, to leave as well. In fact, pretty much all of them. Um, and um, Microsoft said they were going to, you know, create new homes for, for those people. Now, uh, just before the um, Thanksgiving holiday, um, Altman was reinstated. The board was changed quite substantially. Um, and that board is very interesting because um, only Adam D'Angelo, who was on the previous board, is, is still there. Um, then there's Brett Taylor, who famously um, was the guy behind Google Maps and also worked at Meta and also Salesforce. Uh, so he's quite a formidable guy. And then nobody would have seen this one coming. Larry Summers, uh, who was a former Treasury Secretary. Uh, he's also on the board. So that those three are the sort of formation of the new board. Um, and that will be expanded out to nine. But but the real issue for OpenAI is still these you know governance issues and this structure that is quite difficult to um, it's quite opaque and it's also quite difficult to invest in. So I still still think that there's you know going to be further dramas out of OpenAI as it relates to to the governance. Now I mentioned about the invest about. Altman, the reason why Altman was 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 dismissed, um, there's going to be an independent investigation into that. Now, those though these things are quite you know usual when you get early stages of a technology and you get lots of founders and there's lots of tensions between the board and so on. And it's normally something you know either about money or about ethics. But what's sort of come out of the woodwork um, in the last couple of days is that it looks like OpenAI has been working on a, a new type of model uh, called QSTAR. And QSTAR makes an attempt to start uh, to allow the model to start reasoning, basically. Um, it's quite complicated, but basically what it's trying to do is say, here are all my choices and how can I maximize the outcome based on choice and that's a very different type of model to 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 chat gpt so if you can combine those two things you can get something that's um able to summarize and and sort of uh, talk to you but then also reason as well and so that might 
you know the ethics and and, and the and the readiness for for, for prime time of, of the Q star model might might also be behind the um, the Sam Altman uh, dramas. But expect more of those uh, as we go on. You mentioned about what it means for for Microsoft. Um, the most important thing I think for OpenAI is that they keep that core team of and the culture of of innovation that happens. Um, and and Microsoft is sort of aligned to that. But then obviously lots of the OpenAI um, compute happens on the Azure uh, platform. And so as long as um, Microsoft can stay aligned with OpenAI, then um, you know, that compute and, and that uh, expertise can be exploited by, by Microsoft. Thank you. Quite an eventful week uh, for OpenAI and Microsoft. And lastly, probably good timing for you. Uh, amongst all of this news, you recently held a Future of AI seminar in our offices. Could you provide key takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I certainly can. Thank you. And, and, and you know, AI has been, well, we've been investing in AI for 10 years, but um, AI has been front and centre of, of and particularly generative AI uh, of a lot of my work over this year. And so the, the presentation is, it has evolved over the last nine, 12 months, something like that. But really what we try and talk about is, you know, what is generative AI and, and, and how does it fit into AI development generally um, and give give you a few sort of examples of, of what generative AI can do. Then most importantly, and like all tools in life, you know, it's important to understand what the capabilities of generative AI are and then also what its drawbacks are as well. Um, thirdly, I think, you know, it's very important to address the hype and you know i've been doing this job for a very long time and so i've seen lots of hype cycles you know be it the internet bubble or 3d printing or you know um internet of things and so on and so forth and and so it's very important to understand the reality of the technology but also what's happening to people's expectations and, and you know where there's a mismatch you often get a you know a hype cycle as well so we talk about that um then you know how a generative ai can be a cry applied across multiple sectors uh, and also some real world examples of, you know, where um, generative AI is getting used. Probably for most of us who are, you know, office workers, the introduction of Microsoft Copilot. So that's infusing generative AI into Microsoft's product suite uh, is the most, um, you know, real. But there's plenty of other examples, you know, we're all using predictive text and things like that we also use you know netflix recommendation engines the adobe have some very interesting products in generative ai as well so you know it, it we're, we're at the early stages but there are some very tangible uh examples of generative ai that, out there and then finally of course because you know that's that's my job um how we invest in generative ai um and there's a whole plethora of of ways we can invest in it Obviously, the the cloud infrastructure companies, the the companies that make the components that go into um, those data centers and help the training and inference, as I was talking about earlier, and then you know um, software companies as well that are able to infuse and 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 add value to their software uh, using generative AI and and you know increasing value of software leads to you know good pricing power and so on so hopefully that's a quick summary of it but it, you know it continues to evolve and if you can catch a recording or see me live um very much looking for look forward to, and if you've got any feedback please let me know thank you thanks perhaps we'll see generative ai implemented in this podcast soon thank you both for those great insights and to all of you for listening did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today we'd love to hear from our listeners so please review the show now wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at quilt achieviot to make sure you don't miss a future episode tap the subscribe button we will be back next tuesday 
In the meantime, head over to our website at www.quiltachieviet.com where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market news, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, do you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast? Simply ask them via the weekly comments page on our website. We'd love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you, Richard and Ben, for your time today and all of you for listening. See you next time.